The following audio presentation is from Parkwood Baptist Church. The purpose of Parkwood Baptist Church is to glorify God by laboring together for the growth of all believers while going with the gospel to all peoples. More information about Parkwood Baptist Church is available at parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org. Desire is coming next week, which should not be difficult. The second is to preach Psalm 46. So, a great psalm, thoroughly enjoyed preparing and ready to preach the word of God this morning. Psalm 46. In 1527, Martin Luther, a key figure in church history, is in a desperate struggle. Many say this is the most difficult year of his life. More than once, he approached the brink of death due to sickness. And to compound matters, the Black Plague had entered Germany and spread to his hometown. Many fled, but he, his wife, and his children stayed, believing it was their duty to care for the sick. They transformed their house into a hospital and watched friends and loved ones die brutal deaths. In the midst of this, their worst fears were realized when their one-year-old one son became desperately ill. It was here. Broken, helpless, and fearful, with deaths surrounding him on every side, that Luther was driven to take refuge in God like never before. It was this psalm that he clung to. Psalm 46 became an anchor to his soul. And in the midst of desperation, he hoped in God. And that is what this psalm calls us to do. In the darkest of times, he used to say, come, let us sing the 46th psalm and let them do their worst. He said, we sing the psalm to the praise of God because God is with us and powerfully and miraculously preserves and defends his church and his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, and against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and sin. The assurance, comfort, and encouragement that this psalm gave, gave to Luther, we can receive also. Why would Luther say such things? Because Psalm 46 teaches us this main idea. That in the midst of a broken world, the Lord of hosts is our help and his people rest in him. Considering that main point, I invite you to stand. Taking Psalm 46, if you don't have a copy of God's word, page 471 in the chair Bible in front of you. Let's read Psalm 46 together. To the choir master of the sons of Korah, according to the Alamoth, a song. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. 
Our Father, we confess that your word is true, that Psalm 46 is good. You are our refuge, our strength, and our very present help in trouble. We need not fear. The Lord of hosts is with us, and you will be exalted in, in all the earth. So Father, I pray that while we confess this is true, while we believe it and know it to be true, that you would make us to live by it, to put our trust in you, to rest in you. For it's in your name we pray, amen. Be seated. So we see in this text three clear distinctions marked by the, the three selahs. The first begins with confession. This is who God is. And by virtue of who he is, he, he demonstrates that to be true in the first three verses before creation. In the next four verses, even amidst nations. And in the final four verses, there's an invitation to acknowledge the authority of Christ. So we begin. In the midst of a broken world, the Lord of hosts is our help and his people rest in him. So first, the Lord is our place of rest. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This first verse is foundational, telling us who God is. He will justify it in the verses to follow. But who is God? He is a refuge, a strength, a present help in trouble. Refuge, protection from danger, distress. Protection from danger or distress. Shelter, hope. The main thought here is security. Refuge is the cave where Elijah runs when fleeing Ahab. Refuge is when your kids get behind you, when a giant dog is in sight. He is our refuge. He is our strength. Strength is the other side of security. Where refuge is defensive, strength is offensive. The most fearful I've ever been was walking through a village in East Asia. Wild dogs are common in the villages of East Asia. We rounded this corner and this giant dog is running headlong for us. Two girls I'm with, they get behind me. That's the defensive portion. The dog's coming and there's not much time to react. Am I gonna hit it? Am I gonna kick it? Am I gonna run? And just before it reaches us, from behind this corner, we had just rounded, and behind the corner of the, of the house, this man steps out and says something, and the dog stops. That was offensive. <laughs> Merely defensive would not have accomplished that much. He did something, and our God acts for us. He is a refuge, he is a place of security, but he is also a place of offense who acts on our behalf. A present help. Well proven is actually the word here. Not, not simply present, sufficient, always able there to help you, but well proven. He has demonstrated that he is, a, he is a help long ago. He has demonstrated every day. He demonstrates it into the future. He is an ever-present, well-proved help, an available and sufficient help. Deuteronomy 4.7 captures this. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? Whenever we call upon him, he is a present help. He is strength and he is refuge. The Lord is our place of rest. He not only provides us with rest, he provides rest in himself. He is rest. And I am saying rest because by rest I mean the sum of refuge, strength, and help. 
In other words, the people of God can rest in God in the midst of a broken world because our God is the Lord, Yahweh, and he is our refuge, strength, and help. We see this clearly displayed in Exodus 14 and 15. The people of God have been enslaved in Egypt for 430 years. God provides their freedom from slavery in Egypt through the 10 plagues. Pharaoh lets the people go, but then changes his mind and pursues after them. The people of Israel find themselves trapped between the Red Sea and the Egyptians, but God miraculously delivers them through the midst of the Red Sea on dry ground. Deliverance at the Red Sea is the ongoing illustration of this passage. And throughout the Old Testament, deliverance through the Red Sea is the preeminent picture of redemption. And here in Psalm 46, it is the perfect illustration of the rest that God provides for his people in the midst of calamity. We'll see this as we continue to work through the psalm. The theme of finding rest in God continues throughout Scripture. Remember how God provides water and food for the wilderness generation? How he defeats their enemies when Israel is the smaller and weaker nation? See how Moses writes of the promised land as the place of rest? What about Daniel's three friends in the fire of the furnace when they did not fear the consequences and one like the Son of Man appears? How do those in Scripture who suffer immensely continue faithfully? They find rest in God in the midst of their suffering. People like Job and Stephen and John. Remember the disciples in the boat in the midst of the storm. They think for sure their end is upon them as the storm rages around them. Where is Jesus? He is sleeping. They awaken him for only, only to find him to be the source of rest as he calms the sea. Peace, be still. Jesus does the same for us. He is a well-proved help. Amen. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet he's without sin. Let us then with confidence, listen to this, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our high priest our mediator before the Father. He knows our weaknesses and sympathizes with us, and he invites us to draw near that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of trouble. In a broken world, with a fallen creation, with wars and rumors of wars, with people created good but fallen and desperately wicked, he demonstrates his present and sufficient rest in these two categories in Psalm 46. In that first section of verses one through three, fallen creation. And then the next four verses, he demonstrates his rest over sinful people, in the midst of sinful people. Fallen creation in the first section of Psalm 46 and sinful people in the second stanza of the psalm. Verses two and three and verses four and seven form the justification and illustration for this foundational and transformational claim in verse one, that God is our refuge. We can be assured of rest for his refuge, strength, and help, even in the midst of the worst circumstances possible amidst absolute catastrophic and cataclysmic events in creation, or amidst the warring violence of nations and kingdoms. And so we see in this first section, verses one through three, he is rest amidst catastrophe in creation. Verse two and three, therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. On the news during a hurricane, no doubt you've seen the video of a house toppling into the water. A giant house, expensive, big, standing on a bluff, 
firm and strong, and yet through the beating of the storm, the earth gives way and the house topples in. The picture here in Psalm 46 is of a mountain, a mountain being buffeted by waves until it trembles and slips into the sea. How immutable or unchanging, how immovable is a mountain, and yet the mountain here is moved. These are dire circumstances we were talking about in verses two and three. The waters roar, that means they murmur, they growl and threaten like a dog preparing to attack an intruder. The waters foam. That means the waters ferment, boil, foam up. You see here the threatening nature of the seas and the effect when the threat spills over into action. That point when the guard dog has growled and now attacks. That moment when the ocean is wild and uncontrollable and then the intensity of a raging storm approaches. It is in these moments when, therefore, we will not fear because it is in these moments that God provides rest. God the Lord is our refuge, our strength, and our well-proven, ever-present help. Therefore, even in the midst of catastrophe and creation, we will not fear. We need not fear. We should not fear. Psalm 93, 3 and 4. Listen to this. Turn to Psalm 93, 3 and 4 if you would. The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their roaring. But listen to 4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters, mightier than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. The Lord is more mighty than our suffering. Many of you are going through tremendously different, difficult circumstances that are known by your growth group, known by friends, by pastors, even the congregation. Some of you are going through severe but unknown suffering that is just as difficult. Hear the word of the Lord. He is mightier than the thunders of many waters. He is mightier than the waves of the sea. And our God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble, and he will not forget you. He will not fail to remember you or forsake you or abandon you. As we consider the might of God to give rest, even in the midst of devastating events in creation, the psalmist goes further. In the next stanza, verses four through seven, God is our rest in the midst of raging nations and warring kingdoms. He is rest amidst the raging of nations in verses four through seven. Notice first the stark contrast between verses two and three and verses four and five. Calamity and chaos in verse two and three and calmness and peace in verses four and five. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. In the tumult of verses two and three, God is unaffected, and unworried in his holy habitation. Now he is not unconcerned for us. He's just said he's our refuge, our strength, our present help, but he is unworried. Listen to the peacefulness reflected in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. 
The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord their God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. In the midst of chaos, the city of God is not chaotic, and God has not departed the throne or left his city, but he is in the midst of her. And because he is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Notice the distinction the writer is bringing among creation in verses one through three, the kingdoms of man in verses four through seven, and God's kingdom amidst that. Look at these words, perhaps underline them. Moved in verse two, moved in verse five, and totter in verse six. They are all the same word, It is the kingdoms of creation and man that move. The kingdom of God shall not be moved. Verse five, God is in her midst. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. Why? Why will the city of God not be moved? Because God will help her when morning dawns, just as he did the people of Israel against the Egyptians. The word for dawns is an interesting word. It means turn. In other words, at the moment when the night turns into day. And this is the same time and the same word used in Exodus 14, 27, when God defeated the Egyptians before the Israelites, burying them under the waters of the sea. Moses writes in Exodus 14, 27, so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared at the turning of the day. And as the Egyptians fled into it. The Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The psalmist returns our minds to the great deliverance at the Red Sea when God was a present help, when he proved his help. But God helps his people. They will be unmoved and you will be unmoved because God helps even when the nations rage and the kingdoms totter. Verse six, the nations rage, the kingdoms kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The nation's raging is the same word as the water's roaring in verse 3. We saw above how rage and roar is a threatening word. Here in the context of the nations, the word refers to the clanging of metal as an army assembles for battle. The nations are threatening and preparing for war. Kingdoms are moving as significantly as mountains into the heart of the sea. And God, he utters his voice. He simply speaks and the earth melts. But should we not expect this? We know from Hebrews 1.3 that he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Remember Psalm 29, 29, three through eight. God speak, uh, Psalm 29, three through eight, the psalmist speaks of God's voice. He says, the voice of the Lord is over many waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The the Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The, The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord is exceedingly powerful and with a word, the earth melts. But the psalmist continues with more assurance. Look how he closes this section. The Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. 
the Lord of hosts. This God of armies is with us. Clearly, he speaks of might, strength, and power. We are in him. He is with us. He is in our midst. The God of Jacob speaks of grace, a historical grace. From the inception of the people of God throughout, throughout their time, he is the God of Jacob, and he is our fortress. He is our high stronghold, that word means. Our high and mighty stronghold. And for this reason, the people of God need not worry as God is our rest. The God of angelic armies is with us, and he is our high stronghold. When tempted with worry because of unbelief, remember 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17, when Elisha and his servant Gehazi were surrounded by Syrians. The writer describes it this way. When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he might see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You might not see the mountain full of horses and the chariots of fire all around, but you can know for certain that the Lord of hosts is with us and the God of Jacob is our high and mighty haven. The Lord is, our, is more mighty than creation and more mighty than our enemies. He is a place of rest and you can rest in him. God is our refuge. He is our strength and he is our well-proved help in trouble. How do we know this? Because we see in the first two sections of Psalm 46, that he is our rest. We see in the first three verses that he is our rest amidst catastrophe and creation, and in the second four that he is our rest, amidst, our rest amidst the raging of nations. So what about the last section? The last section of Psalm 46, we see that the Lord invites the nations to rest in him. Now at this point, the psalm shifts. The first two stanzas have, have spoken confessionally, declaratively, factually, making the point that God is definitively and certainly our refuge, our strength, and our help. And we indeed have no reason to fear. The Lord is our help, and the Lord is our rest. But this final stanza contains imperatives and even first-person speech as God himself speaks in verse 10. So why the nations? How can I say the Lord invites the nations to rest in him? Hold that question about the nations, and we'll make that point in verse 10. The spoiler alert is that verse 10 might not mean what you've previously thought, or what I thought until I studied this passage more in depth. Verse 8 seems to indicate an invitation to the nations. And verse 8 through 10 makes up a missiological invitation in view of an eschatological certainty. In other words, a, a, a missionary invitation, a, a, an invitation to respond to the gospel in view of an eschatological certainty or a certainty that, that, that has the end, the eschaton in view. What an amazing, thought-provoking, and thought-confounding grace that the Lord of hosts and God of Jacob would invite the nations to worship him. He says in verse 8, Come, behold, the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. But he has done the same thing with his deliverance at the Red Sea. At the Red Sea, the Lord of hosts was intentionally revealing himself to the nations, not only to Israel, but to the nations also. Listen to Exodus 
And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and, o- and over all his host. Here it is. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. So Pharaoh and his army became the illustration. The Red Sea becomes an invitation and an announcement to the Egyptians. The Red Sea is not only a cool story of deliverance, but also a strong display of God's self-revelation. He is making himself known to the nations. Missions does not wait for the New Testament or the Great Commission. God speaks and acts throughout history to reveal himself to those far from him. He invites them to come, an invitation to behold his work. But what is his work? Bringing desolations on the earth. While this is an invitation to come and behold, therefore to rest in God with the people of God, God's not asking, he's telling He's not simply inviting would-be worshipers. He is announcing his authority over his enemies. He's not removing himself from a place of authority. He's declaring his authority. This is an invitation to find rest rather than judgment. But make no mistake, judgment is coming. And the nations will know his judgment if they do not repent and worship. If the nations remain resolute against God, then the nations will be among the desolations on the earth. Together with verse 9, the psalmist words make clear that he has in mind here an eschatological view. He says, come, behold, or this will not end well for you. Remember Psalm 93, 3 and 4. He is more mighty than the floods and the waters and the waves. It says in verse 9, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear, and burns chariots with fire. This language not only points backward to the Red Sea, but also forward to one day when every war will be ended and every enemy enemy will be underfoot. It reminds us of the coming day in Revelation 21, three and four. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. What a picture of rest. For those who are found in Christ, this will be a blessed and glorious day. For those found not in Christ, this will be a horrendous and terrifying day. We see here an invitation to rest in God, but also in verse 10, as God speaks, an announcement, a declaration of the Lord's ultimate authority. He says to the nations who earlier were said to be raging against God, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So back to our question. Why the nations? This verse has been widely thought, verse 10, has been widely thought to refer to us, to God's people, as an exhortation to be quiet, to meditate before the Lord. In fact, it's nothing of the sort. The words translated be still more appropriately mean stop striving. To the nations that were raging and the kingdoms that were moving against God, he says, stop it and acknowledge that I am God and that you are not. This command to be still and know that I am God can be heard and applied by the church. But the command to stop striving is connected directly with the state of the nations earlier in the psalm. And so the primary audience is not the church, but the nations. And the injunction, be still, is not in the first place comfort for the harassed, but a rebuke to a restless and turbulent world. So we go back to Exodus for our illustration as the same command is given in Exodus 14, 13, 14. 
In verses 13 and 14, it says, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. Here it is, the Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. You have only to stop striving. You have only to stop and watch God fight for you. In Exodus, he tells his people, you only have to stop worrying and trust me. I will fight for you. And to the nations, he is saying, you only have to stop striving against me. I am God. God doesn't stop with this command to be still, though. He goes on with authority. I will be exalted. If to the believer, then the emphasis is on exalted as an encouragement to exalt in him. But being to the unbeliever, the emphasis is on will be as an insistence upon this coming reality. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. It's consistent with Isaiah 2.17. And the haughtiness of man shall be humbled. And the lofty pride of man shall be brought low. But the Lord alone will be exalted on that day. Again, verses 8 through 10 is a missiological invitation in view of an eschatological certainty. The Lord will be exalted on that day. And so he invites people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation to cease striving and to worship him. But this being said to the nations does not make it not for us. How often do we need to overhear him saying to the nations, cease striving? How often do we need to be reminded in the midst of this broken world that the Lord will be exalted? Well, he is still talking to us. Though the primary audience of God's voice is to the nations, the psalm is written to and for the people of God. And the refrain is repeated. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. God has spoken, as it were, over the nations. Similar to Isaiah 6, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I, Isaiah said, here I am, send me. The Lord didn't speak to Isaiah. He was speaking and Isaiah heard him. No doubt the intention of God, just as it, as it is here in Psalm 46 for the church. God says to the nations, come, behold, and stop striving and acknowledge me. Trust me, find rest in me. The rebuke was made to a restless and turbulent, turbulent world, but the people of God are meant to hear it because the refrain is repeated and again personal. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And hear and believe, Psalm 26, 7, 20, verses 6 and 7. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. Be convinced. Be confident. Now I know the Lord saves his anointed. He will answer him from his holy heaven with the saving might of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, the nations, and some in horses. But we... We trust in the name of the Lord our God. So given this text, given Psalm 46, what is the question we are left with, but am I resting in the Lord who will not be moved? We should all ask this question. Am I resting in the Lord who will not be moved? Listen to Hebrews 3, 16 through 4, 2. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were, they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Therefore, 
while the promise of entering rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Some of us are similar to creation. You are in turmoil. The earth is falling in around you. What are you going to do? You're at a loss. Some of us represent the nations. Truth be told, you're raging against God. You want nothing to do with the things of God and talk of resting in him or of God inviting you to worship. It makes you mad. You can rage, gather yourself against him, spurn opportunities to heed his word, but God will not be moved. He will continue to be God and he will remain on his throne. He will indeed end all wars by destroying all enemies and making them his footstool. He is giving you the opportunity to turn to him. Stop striving and repent. Acknowledge that he is God and you are not. Rest for you does not come from wanting it though, but from removing the enmity between you and God. If you've heard the gospel, then you know you cannot rid yourself of the sin that separates you from him. It is alone the work of Christ on the cross when he trades his righteousness for your sin and receives the wrath of God in your place. Only then can you be reconciled to God. But he is inviting you. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Stop striving and acknowledge him and find rest in him. They would be glad. Um, There are those who acknowledge him around you. Many people around you are finding rest in him. They would be glad to talk with you. And pastors and ladies in Blue Parkwood Church or in the worship center and in the lobby, and any of us would love to talk with you, pray with you, help you in any way we can. The message, the call is clear to those who are far from Christ. Respond to him, repent, turn to him, that you might find rest. If you are a follower of Christ, you should answer the same question. Am I resting in the Lord who will not be moved? We finish where we began. Far too many followers of Christ acknowledge God, but do not rest in him. Maybe the world has you flustered, and you're like Peter who has stepped out of the boat, but you're looking at the waves and getting worried more than you're looking at Christ and expecting rest. In Hebrews, they were unable to rest, enter rest because of unbelief. Don't claim Christ and fail to reach his rest. He's offering it to you. It is because of unbelief, or is it because of unbelief or disobedience that your eyes are off the one who is your rest? Then repent. But don't fail to enter his rest. Look at the God in Psalm 46. Look at the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible is our refuge, our strength, our well proved help. And if you are in Christ, this God is your God. He is in your midst, and he, no other, will be exalted. Please don't look at Psalm 46 and then be unwilling to rest in Christ, not while the promise of entering his rest still stands. God rested on the seventh day, and he provided rest for the people of Israel through Joshua. But there is a greater rest coming for God's people. Don't fail to enter that ultimate rest, and don't forsake the opportunity to rest in Christ now. There is both a now and a not yet rest. Don't strive against God and forsake the not yet rest, the rest that comes with being in God's presence in the new heavens and the new earth for all of eternity. The good news has come. Psalm 46 has been written and the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob has been proclaimed to us that you might not miss what is available to you even in the midst of the catastrophes of creation and the warring of nations. 
The offer is there. Rest in him. Whether you are in the nagging, never-ending troubles of this world or experiencing the worst of all possible trouble, find your rest, even in those circumstances, in the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob. He is our high, impenetrable stronghold that cannot be shaken and will not be moved. Let's pray before we respond together with the, in the, to the Lord in singing. Our Father, we confess with the psalmist, you are our refuge, our strength, and our present help in trouble. You have proven yourself time and time again in the midst of catastrophe all around us or, or raging of nations and kingdoms and enemies around us. Father, you are the one who is not moved. Make us to rest in you. Make us to trust you. Make us to respond in faith to you. Oh, Father, where we are not, I pray that you would convict us of sin, judgment, and righteousness, and that your spirit would do, your, do his work in our, in our hearts. Father, in your long-suffering and your steadfast love, do not give up on us, but call to us again that we might find rest in you. Thank you for your grace. It's to you we pray, it's to you we trust, and it's to you we sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this audio presentation from Parkwood Baptist Church, located in Gastonia, North Carolina. Please feel free to share this message with others. For more information about Parkwood Baptist Church, visit parkwoodonline.org. That's parkwoodonline.org.